and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Tanya Meesman, I love having you on the She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jules. I've been dying for this. It's awesome. (laughs) We finally got to it. Okay, so let's start off. Everyone's going to love what it is that you're doing. Do you want to tell everyone what it is that you're doing and a little bit about your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I now am the proud runner, owner of of two businesses, I guess. Um, I run Girl Shaped Flames, which is uh, Brisbane-based. Such a good name. Yeah. Such a good name. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It's social enterprise focused on developing confidence for basically high school-aged girls in in short. Um, Wonderful. And that was my first foray into entrepreneurship, uh, which I know we're going to get into a little bit deeper later. Yeah. Um, and then what has now evolved is is something of a sister company, which is our right. not-for-profit called Unique You. And uh, I'm the CEO of Unique You as the not-for-profit, yeah. and I also sit on the on the board um, with another assortment of fantastic people. So I'm currently, yeah, I'm heading up two companies at the moment um, and living just, as we were just saying, just moved to beautiful Yamundi in Sunshine Coast with my family, uh, which Gorgeous. includes two little boys, ironically. Considering the line of work that I'm in, but I have two, I've got three, two wonderful worry. sons. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, that's sort of top line. Amazing. All right. So let's talk about why you set them up in the first place. Is was mm, yeah? Why yeah. did you? What's your purpose? Look, it's been an interesting journey. Um, my purpose, I felt, was always to just do a good job. And it, it didn't matter what I was doing. My first career was in advertising and branding and communications. I worked oh, for right. 10 years uh, in big ad agencies for big brands like MasterCard and Virgin and Nokia and Unilever yep. and all those kinds of brands here and, and over in London. Um, and I was in client services and I loved what I did. I was good at it. Um, and I was my purpose was really to just do a good job all the time. I, I wanted to do a good job, come up with great you know, manage great creative projects, all those kinds yeah. of things. Um, I finally, after a number of years in that space, I decided to follow some of my own advice that I gave lots of people, which was <laughs> to go and follow your passion. And my yeah. passion had always been from very young age was, was a creativity and, and, um, uh, mainly through actually filmmaking. I remember being, I know we're going to get okay. into this later. I remember being very young and getting into filmmaking. So I actually uh, moved sideways into film production and I ended up having a film career for about 12 years um, right. working in all different formats, feature films and content and things like that. Wow, ads, I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, but it was really, I think when I reflect now as to how I've ended up where I've ended up, there was a moment of perfect storm where I had always been mentoring or guiding um, or advising particularly young women um, throughout my life and career. I was always the cheerleader friend at school that would tell people they could do anything and I would help them figure out how to do it. Oh, you sound like exactly (laughs) my kind of woman. (laughs) All all the way through to uh, by the time we relocated back up to Queensland, uh, and I took a brand, a head of brand and communications at 
Queensland Academies, I had a junior working for me there. And then I had a junior who I just left as when I was head of production at a production company. So I always had this kind of mentoring, guiding type stuff going on. And it was only when I arrived at the key academies and it gave me the opportunity to spend a lot of time interacting with parents of of young people and parents specifically of young girls. And it was there where I think this this impassioned need to ensure that the next generation doesn't keep going down the track that I was witnessing them go down, which is a real – a deterioration in in confidence and self-belief and self-determination and ambition and drive and almost presenting itself as apathy. Um, And on the surface, it's easy to then jump in and blame them and say they're they're lazy or they don't appreciate or whatever. But actually there's a lot of complexity in their their world that contributes to why they are experiencing this. So because I've always been a bit of a doer and a bit of a problem solver, I um, I might be jumping ahead here in in my questions, but my epiphany moment was in a dog park um, (laughs) with a dog. I wasn't one of those creepy people hanging out to pat other people's dogs. I was there walking my dog. I've got a vision of you skulking in the park (laughs) pretending you've got a dog. Yeah, just going up and coochie-cooing and throwing my tennis ball for any random dog. Um, But I was there with my beautiful shepherd and I was – I, there was a moment of quiet and it was sunset and there were tall gum tree le- uh, trees around and the sun was sort of hitting those trees. And I remember just thinking, God, I wish I could take all of these girls who are struggling or who don't believe in themselves or who n- need someone to believe in them to push help them forward. I wish I could bundle them all up and take them somewhere away from what's going on in their lives and inspire them and, and pump them Fill full them with of confidence, confidence. Again. yeah, yeah. And joy. Yeah. And so interestingly, my very first iteration of Girl Shape Flames as a concept was what is now my Camp Courage that I run a couple of times a year with girls. Oh, right. At the time, I went home all excited going, I'm going to run these camps. I'm going to change these girls' lives. And then I costed it up and went, oh, crap. No, I'm not. It's really expensive. <laughs> I can't to do that. <laughs> and so what I did instead was like, look, start smaller, Tanya. Let's just do some one-off events or some workshops or whatever. So Girl Shape Flames was really born in that moment of going I need to do something to help this next generation because I've always been an intrinsically confident person I know that but I also know the impact confidence can have on your life and and how the the opportunities it can help you pursue and so I knew that I had that had that influence on the individual people I had been working with I considered uh going down the counselor route maybe I would train to be a counselor and help people but I'm also a I'm a big picture person I also love the events landscape and all the rest of it so I sort of thought if how do we do what I'm doing exponentially how do I well, the power is that these girls are connecting with a woman who is demonstrating to them real life insights inspiration leadership all those kinds of things how do I connect hundreds of girls with hundreds of women. Yes, the idea of getting that to many rather than just the one-on-one. Indeed. And then then that's when the cog started turning. I thought, I could do that. I reckon I could do that. Well, so, so how, how, are the, how do the camps work? Well, now Sorry, we have camps. Sorry, I jumped well, in a bit early. No, that's okay. We, we The first two years was in uh, more sort of ad hoc events. So we had workshops and panels and big all-day events and la, la, la. Um, finally, uh, must have been 2019, I think it was, that we did our first camp. 
Um, that came about mainly because I had connected with someone who's now one of my dearest, dearest friends, Kai Fanou, and she is a Hollywood stunt artist and a survival expert. And she also authored a book for teenage girls about survival instincts from the wild being applied to modern day life. And um, uh-huh. we connected one day through a mutual friend and what was supposed to be a 15-minute chat turned into a two-and-a-half-hour diatribe <laughs> about how we wanted to inspire these new girls. So she was actually part of Girl Shape Lands from the beginning as one of my very first special guests. And we were sitting around spitballing one day and I said, oh, you know, where this all started was this idea of camps. I want to take the girls out of their environment. And it's not about scaling, abseiling rocks or anything like that. It's actually about giving them some freedom, some space and some guidance around how they can start connecting with themselves and figuring their power out and figuring out what is what they're afraid of and then how to get over that and things like that. So Camp Courage kind of launched. Yeah, it launched back in, I guess, 2018, 2019. So pre-pandemic. Oh, my goodness, pre-pandemic. I know. But then, um, and you say that because actually, and I know this this will be time stamping this conversation, but we were supposed to be on camp last week. When Brisbane, oh my goodness, we, Brisbane which for anyone lockdown. who's listening is when Sydney has gone down in the July lockdown in 2021. Yeah, and Brisbane. So we're, we're based up in southeast Queensland. So in we fact, went down. everywhere except Melbourne, which is nice for a change. Ironic, for isn't it? Um, so we, uh, we went into lockdown. So unfortunately that has delayed our current camp, but it was to be our sixth or seventh camp, I okay. believe. Amazing. Um, so now Girl Shape Flames really is, uh, th- there's three parts to Girl Shape Flames now. There's our camps that we run a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. We still go into schools and we'll have inspirational panels of women or Kai will come up from Melbourne and her and I will do an all-day event or whatever it is to to inspire normally kind of those grade 9, grade 10 type of cohorts. Um, yeah. And then we also have a parenting program that myself and a very good friend of mine, Dr. Diane Hanna, wrote during COVID, um, which is a, called Courageous Parenting, which is actually specifically for parents who are raising girls between eight and 18 years old, which takes, she's a neuroscientist and a counselor. And then I've got my sort of background in the work with the girls. So we came together to write a comprehensive coaching program um, that runs a couple of times a year now. Uh, We've had about 70 odd parents go through it so far. Fantastic. um, Yeah. And so that's uh, the, the whole thing though, Going back to the original question around my purpose and all the rest of it, <laughs> I didn't. I know it's a very long answer. I can, I can kind of guess, but do people tell us. who know me will be very used to my very long answers to things. But <laughs> the idea is that my purpose was that I really, and I will say this: I stand in front of the girls all the time, and I say this: I go, I know that I, I, I have a natural confidence about me, and I know what that afforded me as far as a life. And I stand here before you at this time, not quite yet 40, and I look back on my life and I am proud of myself, of my achievements, of the choices I made and the decisions I made and the chances I took and the opportunities I went after. I am proud because I did those things and I have had my ups but I have had my downs and I I stand here having lived a very full life and I truly believe that the way I can help you live a really full life is to help you figure out where your confidence is, where your self-belief is. Because once you can find that and tap into it, you will say yes more, you will take more opportunities, you will believe, and you will get through the hard times. And so I think that became my purpose was to help girls with that 
themselves through girl shape. And it's play. it's brilliant, Tanya, because you know I I'm working now with a lot of women in in our, in their forties and fifties mm. with mm. she's the boss, very successful, mm. but so many of them had. I don't want to say dodgy, mm. but not an easy start. Mm. And they've really had to fight through a lot of things. Mm. And I think what you're doing with these really young girls mm. to get them their confidence levels up is mm. just perfect because by the mm. time they are 50, they will have achieved all those things because nothing's going to stop them. When you know what you're doing mm. and you feel confident in yourself, nothing really will stop you. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so we've alluded to all sorts of bits about your past, so let's mm. go back. Mm. Um, where did you grow up? How big was your family? What did your parents do? What did you think of school? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I grew up in small town Yapoon, which is in central okay. Queensland. Um, yep. <clears throat> and by small town, I mean it was a town of about 10,000 when I lived there. It has grown yep. a, a bit now. Um, par- so... Uh, single mum from about when I was about, my dad passed away when I was 13. And so single mum from about. Oh, gosh, now that's a very profound age for your dad to have have passed away. Yeah, it was actually. Um, He wasn't, and this is a public knowledge, so he was an alcoholic um, and my mum and him actually separated when I was about uh, 11 or just about to turn 12. Oh, okay. So you had a couple um, of years. We had about, yeah, 12 to 18 months separated and then um, things just just took a a turn for the worst uh, after that. And so he passed when I was literally – a couple of weeks about to start high school for the first time because this was back oh when high school started in grade eight. Arch. So it was a couple of weeks before high school and my high school was a totally different high school to all my friends because I um, I say this with love but I couldn't get into my local girls' high school because I wasn't Catholic. Uh, and yep, so they, <laughs> they said no, sorry. So I got up to – I had to – go to Rockhampton to attend a high school, um, which I started at with no one else that I knew. And I don't know. I can't, I don't tell, know. You how, I can't tell you how many times I've done that in my life. My dad was in the army, so we had yeah. to change schools every six months or so. Well, that's it. And then, well, I actually did change schools 18 months later to come back because you'll never believe it, but the uh, the girls' school, who now obviously I love because they became my school, um, <laughs> they suddenly saw that I had uh, conveniently an, an all-A report card and, and the, oh my the doors God, so- were flung open. <laughs> Religion aside, come on down. Oh, my God. It's actually, but let's just talk a little bit about starting school because I actually, my parents pulled me out of year, at year 11 and put me into a new school for year 12. wow, that's a bit After we'd moved to Australia and I'd finally settled and been in a school for four or five years. But I personally think that you you go one way or another when you're constantly having to make friends Mm. and that is that you either become very introverted and kind of go I don't need it doesn't matter where I am Mm. because I'm very self-contained or like me you just learn how to make friends super fast yeah yeah I was definitely the latter I would say I mean I'd, I'd always been the latter but also I think that my childhood was filled with experiences and that was something yeah. that my mum and dad, but my mum in particular, um, was very intent on ensuring that we tried a lot of different things and right. that we were encouraged to do so and that we were it was facilitated. So I was lucky in that we I was, had a privilege about, you know, even though a single parent, mum was a physiotherapist, so we had a, a certain level of means um, to do these things. But 
I did all the things. I did most of the sports and I did drama and scouts and gymnastics and oh, fantastic. Um, and all the things. And so I think because of doing all those things, you'd sort of developed this uh, ability of making connections yes. or new friends because you're going into new teams and new situations. Um, but it's and you have to face that fear of going up to a group of strangers <laughs> continually until it starts <clears throat> stop be, stops being a fear. Absolutely. And look, I think it it's hard to for it never to be slightly awkward at the beginning. I mean, even oh, now when is. I go into <laughs> rooms and there's no one, I'm like, oh god, here we go. But I think you do. You develop your own coping mechanisms or you develop <laughs> your own strategies as to how to actually start a conversation with someone or find find a common common piece yeah. of ground or something or rather. Okay, um, so you went to all these schools. Did you have brothers and sisters? I have a younger sister, yeah. She's two years younger than me. Okay, so yep. the three girls growing up in that, in that house. The three I girls, guess. yep. And our dog uh, and our so, cat were both female as well, so it's really fine. So with, a, with all those A's on your report card, I'm guessing you did pretty well at school. I did, yeah. I did pretty well. I did, but it's interesting because when I tell the girls, I I also say, you know, I pulled an OP4. I probably could have pulled an OP2. What's an OP4? I've oh, got so no you idea guys what do ATAR. We've just moved to the ATAR system here in Queensland. But I don't have- even understand the ATAR system, to be honest. But <laughs> So is it good or bad is probably all I need to know. One is good. One is the best. And I think it goes down to, I want to say 12, but I think it goes down further than that. Okay, so four is One to 25, I think it is. One to 25, I say. And then um, four is up there and I probably could have got further up there, but I made specific choices about my time where I wanted to be doing things that's extracurricular, not just academics. So I did well at school, yes. Smart. Mm. So what did you do after school? So interestingly, I um, I landed myself a scholarship to Bond University to study IT. Hang on, isn't Bond University in WA? No, um, Bond's no. in the Gold okay. Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, <laughs> and so, but it is a private school, and it is XE as far as money yeah, goes. Right. Um, and single single parent family. Um, so I, I needed, if I wanted to go, I needed to get a scholarship. At the time, I was one of three girls in my IT class um, and I pulled all A's in IT and they were looking for issuing scholarships uh, for IT, I imagine specifically for women. And so I I landed myself one of those, which was an interesting beginning because – I knew from the beginning I wanted to be involved in something to do with communication and marketing and understanding people and behaviour and things, and they managed to convince me that e-commerce was the same thing. (laughs) And so that's why they wanted me to go into IT and said specialise in e-commerce. And I was like, I'm going to believe you because I'm 17 and I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So I went off to Bond, got there, and after three weeks of C++ coding in a room full of boys, I just went, I don't think this is going to be my life, to be honest. So I actually got I got an offer in the mail from QUT for the comms degree that I had wanted. Right. And I took myself to the Bond admin administration building and said, look, this isn't going to work out. It's not you. It's me. I'm going to go do this other degree. And they were very quick um, to say, well, hang on a second. Well, what would you want to do if you were at Bond? And I said, well, it's interesting you mentioned because my dream degree is your business communications degree, but I figured I wasn't going to be able to do it because I wouldn't have a scholarship and that's the only way I could afford it. And they said, right. why don't we transfer your scholarship over and you could just do that degree <gasps> instead. Wow. So I was like, wow, the gods have been smiling on me today. So I managed to do my dream my dream degree. Uh, I topped that degree. I got the top marks out of my um, graduating wow. class. And that, that kicked off my advertising and, and communications career. 
So, so what did you do? You finished, you've done really, really well, but I mean, I've worked in advertising for 10 years. I know (laughs) that to an extent they care about a degree, but not hugely. So you've got to get your foot in the door. Yeah. So how did you do that? Well, so other funny story, and this, this was really setting the tone of how my life was to become. Um, I was up one night one day I was told about a graduate program that DDB Sydney was running and DDB is one of the biggest ad agencies in Australia. Mm -hmm. And this graduate program was in its second year, highly competitive, only 12 places. And they got, they took people from across Australia and New Zealand. I found out about it at about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I wonder now whether this has embedded the condition in me, which is to never prepare for anything because I found about (laughs) it at four o'clock in the afternoon and the cutoff was midnight. And I remember just sitting there chatting to a few friends over dinner going, I don't know, I don't know if I should put in for it. I probably won't get it. And, you know, I'm just a small town girl and it's not really going to happen. And they're going, what's the harm? You're going to be no worse off. (laughs) And my physics teacher had given me my favourite piece of advice in my entire life that got me into bond because he, I originally I'd said, I'm not going to apply for the scholarship. I won't get it. I'm a small town girl. Why would they want me? Blah, blah, blah. And he confidence, said. Confidence. Mm-hmm. And yes. he said, uh, it's that small town syndrome though a lot. Like I think right. in the small town, I was very confident. But anything outside of the small town, I thought there's this magical land that people exist where they are better and more educated and smarter and faster and all the rest of it than us small town people. There, there is definitely a bit of an inferior. I, I had yeah. the same thing coming from the burbs and going yeah. to the city and yeah. being surrounded by, I remember all the students seemed so worldly mm. and knowledgeable and I was just mm. this hick from the country. And look, it's a, it's a, it's a cliche that I, I'm trying to combat now with mm. um, Unique You, even the other company I'm running now, we've got a real focus on making sure we get our service out to regional Queensland because I want to be telling people, girls personally, that there is nothing that reduces your quality or your value or your ability because you grow up somewhere that's not a city. There's nothing. Yeah, no, There's exactly. some limited opportunities because of geographic location, but in today's day and age, even those are starting to be dispelled. Um, so yep. anyway, if I could have, I would have shaken 15, 17 year old Tanya and told her that as well. But luckily <laughs> I had my physics teacher do that instead. And Mr. Mullane quite, quite nobly said to me, if you don't ask, the answer is already no. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I love it too. So I, um, so sure enough, I, of his advice, I applied for the scholarship. Then I, I told myself the same advice at 11.55 PM, put in my application to DDB for the graduate program Long story short, I imagine you know where this is going. Yes, I went, did the whole very comprehensive interview process um, and and got in. So once I was in there, I then got, after the three-month grad program, which was amazing, one of the best experiences of my life, I um, then was selected for their top account, which was the McDonald's account, and I was on there for a couple of years before I got headhunted by my previous managing director who had then moved to McCann Erickson. He pulled me across onto the MasterCard account over there. And then after that, I moved to London. Right. And did you go to London with a job or just for the hell of it? <laughs> no. No. Look, if we're getting personal. Um, <laughs> yep, we are. <laughs> <laughs> the London thing came about, look, I was going to bounce out of London, bounce out to London straight off the back of university. And I had right. a British lecturer who had been um, helping me prepare like, my CV and a really creative way that I could approach agencies to get a job and everything. But in the midst of doing that, he said to me, my best piece of advice I could give you right now 
is don't go now. Go and get a couple of years' experience here yeah. in Australia and then go. You'll get stuck in a pub pulling pints. You'll hate it. You'll come home. It'll be miserable. So I took that advice and got that experience in Sydney across DDB and McCann. Now, while I'd love to say it was a nice, sunshiny, very well-planned event going over to London, um, I actually had what I can only denote now was 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 an un um, an unidentified breakdown. I would say when I right. was I was about twenty-two, or I must have just been twenty-three, and you know I was working. 14-hour days, six days a week on this account. And because I'm an overachiever and a people pleaser, I I just really, really ground myself into the ground. And the McCann Erickson offices in Kings Cross in Sydney were just down the road from a flight centre. And quite literally, because I had applied for my visa back at uni and I had a five-year ancestry, I walked up the road and I booked a one-way ticket to London and then I walked back down and I resigned to my manager and said, I'm leaving. And I called my mom and was like, I'm moving to London (laughs) in six weeks. And then three weeks later, the London bombings happened. And so that was a bit of a, oh, crap, should I still Is that the ones on the bus and the the tube, tube, those ones? What year are we talking about? Is this sort of 95? uh, 2005, yeah. Right. I think it was 2005 was when the bombings happened. Um, and I, I went over in September. They happened in late July and I went over in early September, I would say. Because I went 10 years earlier, almost exactly the same situation, mm. and there'd just been bombs then. Mm. And there were no waste, there's no waste paper basket, yes. no waste bins I know. anywhere in London. And I remember saying, where can I put my rubbish? And they went, oh, no, no. they're worried about IRA mm. bombs. And me mm. going, oh, my God, I hadn't really thought about yeah. that. Yeah. And then went, went off just up the road from my, my agency. Yeah. Awful, awful. Mm. But, yeah, so that's why London – I had always wanted to go. The circumstances under which I got in the plane were not kind of as, as ideal. ideal as what I had hoped, but I went over knowing that I was going to give it my best shot. Yeah. And, um, and what did you do then? And I did. Well, I, first thing I did was I went broke because the exchange yeah, rate was so like. so easy to do. Oh I know. The exchange rate was three to one. Yeah, $1,000, thanks very much, is like 20 (laughs) pounds. And you go, what am I going to do now? Exactly. You get on the bus and they want £2.50 and you're like, no, that's 20% Or £8 for a pint, I think it was in those Mm. days. And and you convert it back to Australian and go, oh, my God. I'm ordering. I'm ordering. So first thing I did was run out of money. Uh, But then, you know, I I took some freelance work and everyone had said to me, the minute you get one job, you will be employable, but you have to get a first job. So I got a four-week contract at a small um, comms agency. That, that Was that just, through Stopgap Marketing by any chance? I did have did interactions with, with Stopgap. I didn't I – didn't, I no, wondered I if they got you got that any, first job. No, I don't know who did no. get my first job actually. Maybe. It doesn't matter. I just – I, I, I knew them. Free, I did a year and a half at an agency and then – um, was made redundant and, mm. and found stopgap on the same day. So yeah, I finished nice. the work on Friday, which I was ecstatic about. Mm. And, I, and I was off to a new agency Monday morning and I did that yeah, for four years great. in there. I really liked stopgap actually well, yeah. from what the interactions I had. But, yeah, so once I got that job, sure enough, um, one of the recruiters picked up my CV and saw DDB and McCann on there and there was a gig going at publicists on the Proct- on right. their biggest account, Procter & Gamble. I have a pattern emerging here where I keep getting <laughs> hired to go on the big accounts. And um, so that was Procter think- & Gamble. Um, but that was also right when this whole I, I need to follow my purpose um, at that point in time, my creative purpose, uh, kicked in because the work with publicists was was 
more, more junior than my expertise and not super inspiring. I think I started looking for what am I doing with my else. life um, at, at the ripe old age of about 24. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, but the, the story, if I can, I know I'm telling a lot of stories today, but. No, no, was, stories are what it's all about. The story about how I, I decided, and you talk about, in fact, one of the questions you um, yeah, indicated we might be talking about is those pinnacle moments in your life that, that change yes, your direction, right? So one of mine happened in a bar at uh, you know, on Brick Lane in London, the, uh, oh, yes. you know, the, the Indian takeout lane. It's the centre of curry. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, my, one of my besties and I went to a short film screening uh, at this pub and, like, we had, you know, a glass or five of wine <laughs> and – we came out of that um, short film viewing and we're standing on that, you know, brick lane. You've got those cobblestone streets and it's they're all closing because it's late and we're standing under these lights. And she's there going, oh, they were so good. Yeah, they were really good. And I turned to look to her and I was like, they were crap. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, those films were crap. I could make something so much better than that. And she goes, well, you should. And I was like, I'm going to. And right. then sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, I was like, right. Got home next day, woke up and went, I am going to try to make something. So I I wrote, I just whipped up a, a script because I've always written all my life. And so I ripped up a little script that I thought was doable. And I, I started, you know, making some calls and things. And I, I did a short, my first short film, I directed and wrote and produced and all the things that you do when it's your first film. Hang on, but how did you do that? Did you go uh, into the agency and borrow equipment? And uh, no. I mean, how, you, how did you physically do it? Well, in, it was still relatively early days of the internet, but I managed yeah. to find some forums and stuff online of people in London who made films. And I just, right. I found a production manager who was very junior, like he was mucking about still in production and he had a mate who was a cameraman who or who had a camera and I was talking like right. a basic. Right, so it was one of those put the feelers oh, out and yeah. people it was just, would come. I have this script I want to make. Um, and so we we filmed that short film with three actors in one location with a camera guy and, and I think a sound person. Um, yeah. I nearly got arrested that night, which is probably a story for another time. <laughs> but we were filming—it was a—we were filming a, a pretend robbery in a Seven Eleven. But it happened to be my production manager's uncle's Seven Eleven, who had had a number of holdups in the past. And someone went through on a yes. bus and saw us <laughs> with a gun, and then called the police. And I had like it's ten all- police cars turn up, and I was like, "Oh shit! I don't have my visa." <laughs> Let's no, it's, it's another learning, isn't it? Because one of the things that you don't think about, and I know when I was making films at RMIT at the yeah. station, we had a guy with a knife that was the yeah. baddie coming after someone, and we had a similar yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's like you learn that perhaps I should let people know what that yeah. this is just fun. Yeah. Or close the shutters. <laughs> close the shutters when you have yeah, a gun, a gun wielding yeah, person. Exactly. Um, so anyway, I so I made that first short film, and then and like like it was and not it. no, it was not very. It was. I was proud of it from the process perspective. It's not a terribly good film. Um, But what it did do was it absolutely gave me the bug. And then I was like, I I need to. And to be fair, actually, I've probably skipped one key piece of the story that did give me the bug, which was back at Bond. One of my electives was filmmaking 101. And I did it in my second last semester uh, of this very expensive scholarship degree, I remember. And I did it my second last semester and I remember vividly the conversation when I phoned my mum on the, on the phone booth thing and I said, oh, my God, 
I've found what I need to do for the rest of my life. I'm doing filmmaking 101 and this is, this is it. I have to do this forever. And mum was like, that's so good. That is really wonderful. I'm so pleased. Could you just finish this degree first? <laughs> yeah. And then we'll talk about you becoming a filmmaker for the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, good point. So that's why I went and finished the degree, got into grad, ended up doing advertising. But um, but certainly at that point in time, I, I made the film and I was like, I think I want to do this properly. The other pinnacle moment was I connected with a producer who was from Belfast originally, but then lived in mm-hmm. London, one of my dearest friends, Crawford. And he said to me, if you're serious about getting into film, you have enough experience, transferable skills, we call them these days, um, yeah. experience from your advertising days, working with budgets and timelines yep. and managing creative people and creative projects. You could move sideways into production pretty easily. And so at that stage, were you talk, thinking production within an agency, so making no. the, the, the ads or nope. going right directly film. into the creative field? Yeah, film. Go and make the films, baby. Good girl. And part of the reason I reflected on why I actually went into advertising, I think there was an underlying um, belief that I would be making 30-second movies for a living because that's what I sort of saw advertising as. And going back to that childhood stuff you were talking about before, I was always the performer. I was always the bossy person who was like telling people how we needed to do this theatrical presentation at the age of six. I, we had a big, one of those big video cameras, the big giant clunky ones that I would, I would come up with things and put people in front of. And and at drama, I, I actually did really well. I tied first place in drama with one of my best friends actually. And my drama teacher had encouraged me to go to NIDA for, to, to do direction at NIDA. Right. And it was, again, my wonderful mother who was a bit like, that's a really good idea, um, except about that whole getting paid and making a living <laughs> and having, I don't know, clothes and things you might want to just reconsider. So I um, – but anyway, I met Crawford and he sort of said, look, if you want to do that, I would also suggest going somewhere where the market is not so saturated like London – and things, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones had not happened in Belfast yet. That was still a good five or six years off. It was Game of Thrones out of Belfast. Yeah, yeah, didn't know yeah they used the Titanic um, <coughs> building hall basically to do a lot of a lot of right. games in the early years of Game of Thrones. I haven't and then seen they- it, I have to say. I'm one of what? probably eight people around the world that hasn't seen it. But- oh, my <laughs> Lord. Oh, it's outstanding. I know. I know. You didn't think we existed, did you? <laughs> no, no. Just a myth. Um, so I did, I, I took myself, uh, once again, I did one of my spur of the moment, went in, resigned, said I'm moving to Belfast, packed my bag, moved to Belfast. And within six weeks I was hired and this always still astounds me, but I was hired as the production manager of a feature film after I'd been in the country in Belfast for six weeks with no Gosh. prior, no prior production management wow. experience. Except um, that they do love Aussies over there. They know we worked hard and they yeah. – and, and obviously you have a, had a – you know, you've been incredibly successful up to that point, so you would have had a pretty yeah. juicy CV. Yeah, and I came I came highly recommended by the, their mates. And if there's anything yeah, that flies right. in Northern Ireland, it's that you, my mate reckons yep. you're good, come on down. And so – and that kicked off my film career and, and I'm ever grateful to Chris Martin was the guy – not the Chris Martin, a different Chris Martin – was um, yep. the producer who took a chance on me for that one and – I'm ever grateful because that that started my 12 year film career. That has so been what did you do over 12 years in film? 
Oh my lord! Look, everyone else. I mean, not not all the individual movies, no, 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 but no. just I did how mine. did the career progress? Like, when did you end up leaving Belfast and coming back? And what else? did I you I was do? in Belfast for two years, and while yeah. I was there, I was very thick into the whole film side of things. So I was I production managed um, three different feature films, uh, and line, line produced and production managed three different feature films. Plus, I was doing commercials and things for actual money because feature films. Yeah over there and at that level weren't paying very much. I would fly from time to time back to London and do six to eight week stints back at some of the agencies that I had worked for previously oh, right. as okay. to, for actual real money because that's what they yep. pay in advertising, real money. Um, but the other stuff that was happening film-wise was I'd continued to write and direct and so I – one of my scripts got picked up for a European um, script writing competition and they actually flew me and 30 other script writers from around Europe um, to France for two weeks for a script writing, um, well, that's you know, cool. embedded thing, which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and another one of my scripts got – two of my scripts and films got selected for the Northern Ireland screen, which is the equivalent of like screen wow. Queensland, screen New South Wales stuff. So that was all happening, um, but really, what sort of put the pin in that for a little bit was was two things. Um, one of them was that I got fired off off a film, which you know, not many people see that coming after. No, my and also, it, it, well, it, it can chip away at the confidence, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, and again, it's one of the key stories I tell the girls because here I am having this seemingly um, Midas touch throughout my life, and then I got. Uh, in a situation, I found myself, and I I was a co-contributor to the situation. I did find myself in a situation where I was trying to work a role I wasn't suited to and I wasn't qualified right. for, and it, it it escalated and it came to the point where we we mutually decided. But let's just be honest, I got fired. Um, yeah. And then twenty four hours later, I was on a flight back to Australia, and I just came back to my mum's house, rocked up on her door. She didn't even know well, I was coming. Did, did you leave that fast just because you needed to lick your wounds and get yeah. home to somebody yeah. who loves me? Yeah, hundred percent. I needed to get out of right. the situation because remembering that. You know, I had found the thing, aside from what now I understand to be my husband and my children and Girl Shaped Flames and Unique You, which are these all amazing things in my life, but filmmaking for me was who I was and my thing. And I feel like it had been ingrained in me since a child. And so to be fired off of a film really brought so many things out of perspective for me because I couldn't understand whether this meant that everything I had done to this point in time was a lie or everything I was going to do beyond this point would be a struggle or maybe my film career was over. And for someone who had had a level of um, self-clarity and uh, belief all of my life. It shook everything. I literally just took it apart. I couldn't even function. So. I went home and, uh, and hid out at my mom's place for five weeks and just sat watching friends reruns and eating like raw cake batter. Would you get up and go out please? Like, honey. Uh, but actually it was, it was her and it was also people back in the UK who were friends of mine in the industry who kept reaching out to me saying, when are you coming back? There's this other film starting up, blah, blah, blah. And so finally I, I did pull myself together and go, I'm not done yet. I'm not done with England. I'm not done or, or like the UK. I'm not done with film yet. So I, I did go back uh, and upon arriving back, um, the GFC happened 
And so all <laughs> oh, of the God, film industry, timing. the whole film industry shut down. So I was like, oh, crap. So I actually went back to London at that point. And one of my old managing directors, who I also consider um, was very important to me, reached out to me from a, an agency I'd been working at uh, who had just landed the Nokia Global account. And the cheeky, cheeky boy was like, um, just because I was about to swear and I probably shouldn't say that, he was saying, um, <laughs> he was saying, so – how's that filmmaking working out for you? And I was like, right. you can't lost. I'm, it's fine. I'm fine. And he was like, well, any chance you want to come and help us bet in this international, glo- yeah, this global, yeah, not your account. And I was like, who's got ah. a massive budget and we can pay you really well. <laughs> I was like, ah, damn it. So I ended up back in advertising for about 18 months um, and then rode out the GFC. But then once I felt that I was safe of the GFC and, and everything that was settling down, I actually did go back into filmmaking before being dragged. And I always say dragged and you know, as I say it with love by my now husband back to Australia, kicking and screaming. So he's an Aussie. Yes, he's a country boy from southern New South Wales and he was right, nice. he was doing his time for me over in London because he did he wasn't really suited to Did London. you meet him over there though? We did, yeah. We, okay. we were connected through his brother. And um and so he he stayed for me and then it got to the point where suddenly the shoe was on the other foot and I was like, "Oh man, this this whole compromise thing's reciprocal, isn't it?" Oh. <laughs> so yep. it turned out I had to <laughs> reciprocate and we came back to Australia, um, gosh, a while ago now, 10 years nearly ago now. Um, okay. So yeah. what, are, so any babies by that stage or it's not, just the two of you? Not yet. So no, we were back in Australia for a couple of years. Back uh, to Queensland? No, we actually went back to Sydney. I fought the good okay. fight because I, I still wanted to continue my film career and I felt that yeah, Sydney right. was the only way I could do it. Interestingly, I was unemployed for six months coming back to Sydney because it turns out there's not much of a film industry over here. Yeah. Um, and even getting better, I think the pandemic has actually helped us. Ironically, it has. It has. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I still have a lot of people that I, I keep in touch with in the film industry, and, and it, it has helped it, to a degree. Um, but anyway, so I, yeah, we came back and, and we were in Sydney for a number of years, and I, I did end up back in film and I did end up head of production for a film company doing features and things. But it was when the family stuff started. And I got a little, our first little boy. Um, and I realized that trying to raise a little one while being head of production of an international film company wasn't um, going to work. Wasn't the best combo. Wasn't going to yeah. work. Uh, and so we. Because film like advertising is silly hours, isn't it? It's, I mean, and when it's you're working consuming. hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all consuming. Yeah. And when it's something, and this is something that I think I really struggled with when it came to that point where I had to make the decision to step away from film which ultimately led me to Girl Shaped Flames and Unique You and everything, so I, I'm, I'm okay with it. But um, I had to realise that I loved film as deeply as I loved my family almost, and so it was right. very hard to uh, let either one of them down. And then I had to really be very honest with myself and go, the family clearly is more important and that you need to actually, I mean, there was a minute there where it was, you know, a real pros and cons list. No, Um, but certainly kind of going, the family needs you. Um, Jesse needed me and all the rest of it. So. And and it's a period of time that when your children are young, 
that you do end up probably compromising a lot more than you would at other times in your life when you go, Yeah, you know, they're only going to be young for a while and it is really frigging hard work looking after young kids. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard, and it's been something that I I, I say this only to, to hopefully um, connect with or maybe it will resonate with some other young, young parents out there, women in particular, is that it's really hard not to have – that it feels unfair, if I'm honest, sometimes that you have this wonderful experience of becoming a mother and having a child and having that wonderful, all the wonderfulness. But on the other hand, as someone and there are other people out there in the world like me who have spent their lives achieving and doing and and feeling of use and being purposeful and all those kinds of things, to then have that not be possible for a time, as you say, but when you're in it, it feels like forever. It feels like it might never end. Yeah. And And it is an all-encompassing world when you've got the little kids and you've got to stay home. And if you're used to working, I mean, I was gagging to get back to work. Oh, and I did. (laughs) I went back when Jessie was six months old. I took a – Oh, you did six months. I did six weeks. Oh, right. Well, yeah. I I just arrived. I just arrived in Melbourne from London via mm, Sydney mm. and found out I was pregnant the day I arrived. Oh, my so, goodness. So it was all about trying to find a job and then trying to hold and on then, to it. Yeah, after exactly. Yeah. I mean, I didn't with Toby, so my second son, I was pregnant. So that whole uh, that whole dog park story that I told you, Yeah. Um, I was four months pregnant with Toby at that point in time. Right. And I did right. have that wonderful moment where we hadn't yet had the 20-week scan and I was sitting on the on the rock in the in the all the play thing, whatever it was in the in the um park. dog park and I'm there going, "Oh, this means it's a, a little girl. I'm going to be doing girl shaped clothes, going to have a little girl." And when we went to the scan and the lady, gosh, she was dry. The lady was like, "Do you want to know?" And we said, "Yes, please. We'd like to know." And she's like, "All right." She's doing the ultrasound and stuff and then she's like, "There it is." I was like, "There's what?" She's like, "There, there it is." And I'm like, no, 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 but it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's a girl though. And she's like, no, right there, you can see it. I'm like, oh my God. So I've moved past that because he's a beautiful human being and I love both of my sons dearly. That's right. But That's certainly right. um, with Toby, I, I I was pregnant all the way through the, the business development and then the, the story really goes that Girl Shape Flames and Toby were both born in the same week because we actually put the website live Um Toby was late, two weeks late, and it landed right, right when the website went live. And so <laughs> for, for reasons that were not as serious as it sounds, but he did end up in special care for 48 hours. And during that time, I was literally up in the martyr bed with my computer making website amends because I had yeah. nothing else to do because he's down in special care and my business has just gone live. You, well, there was something you could have rested. But I, uh, I get that. People talk <laughs> about this concept of rest and I just haven't really wrapped my head around it. No, um, you've had a baby, but if it didn't occur to you then, it might never occur to you. Not, so. <laughs> and it has never since, to be honest. So I certainly with him and Girl Shaped Flames, yeah, he was on my arm for, for all of the all of Girl Shaped Flames effectively um, from the beginning. So Well, it's just certainly had it's to such out. a fantastic thing. Now, you did touch on Unique You, but you haven't mm. explained what it is. So we haven't got a lot of time. No, no, no. I'm going to keep quick. you this tight. I'll be quick. But tell us exactly what Unique You does and is. Uh, so Unique You is a service. Oh, what's the best way I can put this? Basically, we're providing, we're developing a, a service where career and guidance officers with their female grade 9 to 12 students yeah. can peruse 
a database of women who work in what normally we call male dominated, but we like to refer to as industries with underrepresentation of women in them. Right. Um, Often STEM. There's STEM, there's VET, um, trade. Yeah. Those kinds of industries where women are less than 40% at a managerial level Mm -hmm. is, is the benchmark we use. And so we're talking mining, construction, agriculture, tech, um, aviation, defense, those kinds of ones. And, um, so really educators, if, if their school has, uh, access to this service, the career and guidance officer with the female student can peruse this booking system and they can pick a woman. I'm going to use like Jodie Sainsbury is one of my favorite humans in the world. She's a train driver, a coal train driver for BHP. They right. could find Jodie and go, oh, that looks like an interesting job. And they can and have a chat book with her. a 30-minute video call like this yeah, um, with Jodie and they can submit their questions beforehand and say this oh, is what I want to understand. Yeah. And then have you the chat with Judy. Yeah. And look, this came about. It's such a good idea. Thank you. Uh, and there'd be so many women. I mean, of, oh, and yeah. I can certainly put you in touch with a lot, but of all the women that I've interviewed, the number of them in those yeah. male dominated industries that want to help the yeah. younger women yeah. Yeah. is huge. So it's just it a is. perfect match. And look, it, it was a, it's, it's not as left field as it might sound from all the confidence camps and stuff that we're doing. And now we're doing a career advisory you know, video no, call system. No, but it is system. part of the same thing. And the evolution was very organic because when I was connecting the girls with these strong female role models, many of them sat and, and came from these male-dominated spaces. So mm-hmm. the girls' natural inquisition was to say, how do I do your job and what's it like and what's a day in the life of like? So I'd actually launched pre-COVID, I'd launched an industry ignite partnership program where companies like Deloitte and RCQ, Urban Utilities, Schedulo, those kinds of companies, sponsored Girl Shape Flames to bring girls and parents and educators into their organizations to give them experiences that help them broaden their understanding of, of the world and the possibilities and the pathways. So yep. really when COVID killed that, because that was an events-based <clears throat> initiative, what simultaneously happened was the education system um, rapidly adopted technology, which I know we're all still shocked about. I'm only laughing when I say it because they didn't actually adopt it that well in a lot of instances, Uh, but they're still working through, working through. (laughs) But what was amazing was that where the limitations I'd been facing where I could only take a limited number of girls in at a time and I could only really do them in Southeast Queensland because that's where I was. Suddenly, Suddenly this adoption of technology, it was like, oh, I could now have women across Australia connecting and conversing with girls across. And look, this isn't, it's not an ingenuous idea in the sense that there are other people out there that are managing mentoring programs between women and young girls. But I think what we're facilitating here is we're putting the the power of choice into the hands of the girls and of the educators so that they can peruse this, yeah. this um, library of, of amazing women in industry and they can choose and, and book who they want to speak to. They yeah, can they like speak the to multiple. Off. Yeah, they can speak yeah. to multiple women over the course of a year. Yeah, and they can really. And it's not just about the girls. It's it's also a lot to do with the educators because the educators themselves. And I, I'm very much in the camp of educators because I think they have they get a rough ride of it, and they they have limited resources, high high requirements, and so on and so forth. But also career and guidance officers in particular are dealing with a landscape that is moving and changing faster than anyone can keep up with. 
So one of the best ways we can help them do that is to connect them with real time, real world yep. information coming from women who can say to them, this is what it's like. Here's example pathways. Here's the information I can give you. So it, it, it pulls in the confidence and empowerment stuff I've always wanted to do because it helps the girls build their confidence of decreasing the unknown factors of their world so that they can actually consider maybe they do want yep. to go on these pathways. And as you and I have already sort of touched on, it helps build the confidence of the women themselves because yes, I've had women who come and do these things with Girl Shape Flames and they'll do a panel or a, or a speed mentoring, whatever, and all the rest of it. And I'll hand them flowers at the end when I remember to buy them and say, thank you so much. That was amazing. And some of them hand them back to me and they're like, that was the cheapest counselling session I think I've ever had. <laughs> the fact that I could speak for 45 minutes about my journey and about, you know, my role and, and how proud I am and the skills I have, it's a real moment in time it's for us. Yeah. yeah, for us as women to stop and go, oh, I've done some stuff and I'm actually kind of good at what I do and oh I could maybe God. inspire some people. Yeah, you say that because obviously I work in PR and one of the things that I've started doing recently is a product that I called Fig Jam affectionately. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which nice. Which for anyone who doesn't know means <laughs> F I'm great, just ask me. Oh, and yes, that's the 90s throwback. Where journalists <laughs> will write women's bios for them because I know, having oh, worked nice. now with hundreds of women, yeah. that they look at it afterwards and they go, who is this? This oh, can't I like possibly that. be me. I'm not this amazing. Oh, my God, I and might need to tap you it. for that service myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, let's not get into that. I'll talk yes. to you about that afterwards. Yes. Um, one of the other things, so we've got very, very little time left. That's fine, I'll talk Very fast. quickly, I'm going to ask you a couple of very light, silly kind of questions. Yeah, go for it. First one is you're a mum, you've mm. got a massive passion for what you do. You're mm. now juggling two businesses, which mm. I do too, so I know mm. it's hard. What do you do in terms of how, how do you work? Do you carve out time that you say not weekends or only kids or after mm. six or is it all a bit of a blur? I'm just interested because I know a lot of women overwork when it is yeah. their yeah. passion. Yeah. Um, um, so it's not one of those trite, you know, oh, you're a woman and you're a mum, how are you fitting it in? But it no, is no, no. around that. No, no, no. And and I think I'll approach this with the same honesty and transparency as I did before about the whole Sometimes, sometimes it sucks when you have children and they take yeah. you away from how amazing your life could could become. <laughs> um, and I, I don't do it well, to be honest. I definitely do the blendy stuff because I I right. because I'm high efficiency. I think that it's really efficient to just chip away at things in my moments of spare moments. But actually, yep. what I'm what I have been more intentional about in recent months, I would say, with the introduction of Unique You as a second business. I've become much more intentional about going, you know what, Tanya, it's not worth it. It's not worth trying to juggle children and answering emails between 6 and 8 a.m. in the morning. If I'm allowed to work until the children get up and then at the yes. minute one of them sticks their head through my door, the computer gets closed. And I, I actually make sure they see me well do done. that, that I close yeah. the computer and I put it to my side. I don't even finish the email I'm on. And then they've got my attention until I drop them off at the school gates and then I'm off again. Now, that's not how it works every single day, but I'm trying no, but to that's be better. The intention. Um, and also I think I've been trying to get better about making sure there's a couple of evenings a week that I actually do pay attention to my husband from time to time because when you have little <laughs> yeah, ones. them too. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like with little, like mine are only nearly four and six. Yeah. And so yeah. it's still a bit of an S fight to get them into shower and pajamas and bed. But then eight o'clock comes around and they're finally in bed and they've stopped asking for their 90 things. 
And then my poor husband's sitting there like, hello. And I'm like, just a second. And off I go and work for three hours. So right, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stem the flow of that. Um, but look, well I done. don't, I don't think I do it right now. I don't do it terribly well, but, but you're aware of it, which is, I'm which is three quarters of it. Of it That's it. And to be honest, what I do try to do is the, and it sounds so cliched, but the moments I interact with my children or my husband or my friends or my family, I try to make sure that in those moments I'm interacting in a way that is demonstrative of how I love them and care about them. Yes. I'm trying my best not to bring stresses or anxieties around what's going on with work to my exchanges with them. So with the boys, it's lighthearted, well it's fun, it's silly. With my husband, it's, you know, deep conversations we may or, or it's just, you know, who's going to get the and bread today. And, of course, there's the flip side of that, Tanya, which is that your children get to see what yeah. a, a, a strong woman yeah. following her passion and, B, that you can, I mean, my kids are the same, that, that you know, mum can work and, yeah. and do something that might change people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And they're getting- I think that that's really important for them to see because there's yeah. a lot of people who, don't have that same passion and, and mm. you know, they, their kids don't get that role model. So yeah, we can't yeah. beat ourselves up even though we do sometimes. <laughs> That's it. And just go, you know, it's all part of the big mix and in the end they'll all end up fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so I'm getting okay. there. Work in progress. Well done. <laughs> um, now, do you have a quirky fact about yourself, <gasps> something that most people don't know that you're up for sharing. Can you think of anything? I was trying to think about that. I don't know. You kind of spilled your guts with most things. I really so did. I I'm an open book, to be honest. Look, Unless think, you're a tap dancing extraordinaire or something in your past I am not. Um, <laughs> but I will say uh, that one thing that I is, is just an interesting part of my life that I was very blessed to have as well is that. When I was in grade nine, so that sort of yeah. 18, just before, like 18 months before my my dad passed away, um, we actually, well, we owned a nightclub, which was kind of cool. So I learned how oh, to my DJ. Goodness, that is cool. Yeah, actually, I learned how to DJ when I was like nine, I think. Well, there you go. There's um, a quirky that's fact. That's a quirky <laughs> fact. And then we actually took, I skipped grade five because we took the year off school and went around the world for nine months and did three months in Africa, three months in England and Europe, and then three months in America and did three weeks of sailing in Tahiti at the end. And that was an incredibly formative experience as far yeah, as wow. cultural interactions and learning about the world and confidence development. So that's probably something that's that's an interesting aspect of my yeah, life. Yeah, that is amazing. Oh, gosh, I wish. It's the kind of thing, see, my, <coughs> my because my father was in the army and, and it was the British army, we mm. moved around a lot in Europe and I know – that I have wished in a lot of ways that I could do that for my kids as well, mm, just to mm. let them have that experience, oh, yeah. but I wasn't, haven't been able to. So, there's, you know, mm. our parents all do the things that they think they can. Yeah. Okay, last question, okay. well, second last question is, are there any apps on your phone that you love to use for business that are not email, banking or social media? Like I'm looking for, you know, mm. like there's one I love called Jotnot, which actually turns your phone into a scanner. Oh yeah, anything like that? You know, any a- cute ones? Actually, not. But okay. that's, I'm cool. just not really a. Um, I did fall in love with the app Auto Sleep, which was a sleep tracker because I love oh. data and I love analysis. Until <laughs> it started showing me repeatedly, I was only having like five hours of sleep a night, and then I was like, maybe we just need to turn this app off because I yeah, don't need to be pointed that out. But no, look, I'm a big, I love my podcasts and my audibles. Um, so Okay. Well, what about, is it got a favorite podcast other than oh, She's the Boss, obviously? God. Yes, She's the Boss, 100%. <laughs> Leading 
question. Um, gosh, I I love lots of um, podcasts, but I probably I have quite a selection of business podcasts. And if I was to ask you for one, one business, po- I could push oh it God, to two oh at the most. God. What would be your faves? Oh God Almighty! And you go. I tell you what, only because. I, I know of, I know them a little bit, but the girl, those two girls have got a couple of really great podcasts out at the moment. They do a 40 podcast. I'm not yet 40, so I held off listening yeah. to it for a little while, but I find <laughs> them very entertaining because they've also started Afternoons. Um, I would obviously draw everyone's attention to the Raising Girl Shape Flamed podcast hosted by yours oh, truly. Yes. That's actually, some people Ra- say well, that they quite go. like it. Um, That's the one. Yeah, the, the, my podcast, I don't listen to it myself, but apparently it has some good things on I it. I don't listen to mine um, <laughs> much to my son, who is the producer's <laughs> disgust, um, I understand. But anyway, Raising Girl Shaped Flames. So what do you do in that? What kind of people are you interviewing, girls um, or parents no, or uh, no, educators? I, or? I try to interview people who can give uh, an interesting angle on um, things that might affect girls' confidence. But So, so for example, we had Erica Birchold, who's the CEO of The Iconic. She was on there and we were talking about boundaries and setting boundaries and how does she set them for herself personally? And she's also got a young kids and a young daughter. How is she going to set them for them? I've had Michelle Mitchell, who's a fantastic um, tween and teen expert on there. I've talked right. to um, Rachel Sarah, so kind of Indigenous the artist. Experts. They're kind of experts. But then I also had um, Matt Lee, who's one of our company directors on Unique You. I actually had him on as a guest to talk about happiness and teenage girls because he has four, three daughters, four daughters, three daughters, and I just want to talk to a dad about this concept of happiness and how do they help their daughters achieve this elusive happiness concept and Love do they think it. it's important. And so we had a really good chat oh, about great. his father angle on that as well. So I love yeah. it. Oh, that's good. So you've got that full diversity, let's say. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, just we, we really must yep, wind it up. Can, what, what is the best way for people to find Unique You, find Girl Flate James, <laughs> girl shaped flames girl sorry shaped about flames. that and find you where, where are you you know give me all the touch points okay. so that people can find you uh girlshapedflames.com is yep. the website it's, it's got everything in there as well as a contacts page um mm-hmm. unique you dot com dot au now that's spelled u-n-i-q-y-o-u.com.au unique okay. you um, which also has the, the service itself hasn't launched. It'll launch in November, but that is okay. a, a holding page. Everyone can see information about it. And then I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, but then also just Tanya at girlshakeflames.com. And that's Tanya with a Y. Well, Tanya, what can I say? I love your story. I love Thank everything you. you're doing. And I feel like in some ways we've lived parallel lives. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. Thank you That's so been much. so good. Thank you, Jules. I really appreciate it. What a great chat. Thanks. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.